Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Catherine Lane's Nikki Garcia international thrillers are a great way to enjoy armchair travel if you can't get on an aeroplane right now. And her latest book, Revenge in Barcelona, number three in the series, provides the perfect escape for people with itchy feet. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and in today's binge reading, Catherine talks about how her previous career as an international fraud investigator inspired her Nikki character and why her creation is a lot more courageous or maybe foolhardy than she is. But before we get to Catherine, just a reminder, the show notes for this episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to everything mentioned, including Catherine's books and website. Take a look, and while you're there, leave us a comment or suggestion. We love to hear from our listeners. Tell us who you'd like to hear next, and we'll do our best to get them, but no guarantees. Now, here's Catherine. Hello there, Catherine, and welcome to the show. It's so good to have you with us. Oh, and it's great to be with you. Now, just a little geographical introduction. I'm sitting at my desk here in Auckland, New Zealand, and you are in the mountains of New Mexico. That is correct. That's fantastic. It's wonderful, isn't it? It is absolutely wonderful. Look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction, and if so, Was there a catalyst for it? Well, let me say, Jenny, that there were two catalysts. One was when I was still in my corporate job, and I had been in Argentina for about six weeks, and I took a weekend to go up to Iwasu Falls, which is uh, on the border between Argentina and Brazil. And I had a fabulous weekend, and of course, the location is just unbelievably beautiful. And as the plane was taking off on Sunday afternoon, I looked down at the falls and I thought, I have got to write a novel and put this location as a setting for the novel, which I might confess I haven't done that novel yet. (laughs) But that was the first catalyst. Then let's fast forward a few years and I took my early retirement from my corporate job And I was talking to a friend about the fact that, you know, here I've been retired for almost a year and a half, and I still have not even started writing. And she said, what's stopping you? And that question put me in action. I went home and I enrolled in a creative writing course. And why did I do that instead of writing a novel right away? because I didn't have any training to be a writer. About the only training I'd had was traveling to uh, a lot of countries around the world and having all sorts of interesting experiences. But so far as actually writing, I didn't know how to do it. So I decided that I would take a couple of classes. And the very first short story I ever wrote was published. And that really 
helped me along. It really helped my confidence. Yeah, it sort of gave you validation. Yes, absolutely. You know, a lot of writers say that the one of the best ways to know how or understand how to be a writer is to already be a good reader. And I imagine you probably were a reader, weren't you? That's true. That's very mm. true. Now, you've got three books published now in this mystery series or thriller series, the Nikki Garcia Thriller Series. And funnily enough, they feature a, a former fraud S investigator, someone who's doing a job rather similar to the corporate job that you mentioned a moment ago, a fraud investigator turned more of an international private eye. And one twist is that so far anyway, they've been set in Spanish-speaking countries. How did you come to write that particular series? Well, first of all, they're set in Spanish-speaking countries because Spanish is my native language, even though I write in English. But one day... And it was about the time that I had that experience uh, flying over Iwasu Falls that this um, woman by the name of Nikki Garcia popped into my head. And I just couldn't get rid of her until I wrote the first novel. And that happens to, especially to um, fiction writers, not so much to, to historical or nonfiction writers, but for fiction writers, we depend on our imagination, and somehow we create these characters in our minds, and they just kind of stay there until we do something with them. And I set her in a background that I knew, which was the fraud auditing, which was, let me just briefly explain that when there was a company where something less than kosher was happening, and it could be at whatever level within the company, we could be called in to go in and investigate and discover if indeed something was wrong, that there was fraud or collusion within the company going on and creating fraud, or there was nothing. And then we would walk away as if um, nothing had ever been happened, you know, nothing had happened and no one had ever reported anything. And did that involve face-to-face -face interviews, or was it more looking at spreadsheets? I mean, Nikki gets into some quite definite confrontational situations. How closely did she model your own experience? <laughs> that is something I'm asked all the time. Uh, <laughs> Jenny, she's a lot braver than I ever was. If I would receive a death threat, I'd be on the first plane out of that country. But she stays and she uh, confronts everybody that threatens her. It was typical for an audit was more of a review and talking to employees within the company and making sure that uh, everything seemed that was reported in the financial statements was in fact what was really happening. But you had to interview a lot of the company people and you had to get a feel for what things could go wrong. And I know it may sound preposterous to uh, somebody who isn't used to reading financial statements, but when you read the financial statements, they tell you a lot and they tell you a lot of where you have to look. But then there are those audits that if you're going to find any fraud going on, you cannot depend on the financial statements as Nikki does not depend quite often. She does not depend on financial statements. And then, of course, as you've already mentioned, she goes on to become a private eye 
Yeah, sure. Now, the most recent one that you've just published is called Revenge in Barcelona. So as I've mentioned, it's number three in the series. And in this one, Nikki and her fiancé, Eduardo, she's picked up this wonderful man in the course of the first two books, are set on having a destination wedding in Barcelona, and it's all interrupted by getting caught up in terrorist threat, isn't it? Now, how did that happen? Well, she actually had some death threats uh, on the job in Mexico, which was a job immediately before she flies to Barcelona. And she is told by her boss that she needs to fly somewhere and maybe Spain would be a good place for her to fly uh, to. And until they settle out whether these threats are true or not. And in the meantime, she and Eduardo think, well, Barcelona is a wonderful place to have a destination wedding. But in the meantime, some of her enemies, enemies that she made in prior jobs, have found out that she has gone to Barcelona and a terrorist attack, which seems to be a random event that they are uh, caught up in, in fact, turns out to be an event that was trying to target her and cover up their tracks. So it's, it's a great, there's lots of thrilling action, as you might imagine from your synopsis there, but it's also great for vicarious travel. And I do think at this time when quite, quite a lot of the world can't travel very far, the vicarious travel aspect of it is wonderful because you, you get into all sorts of settings that it's easy to imagine yourself there. Uh, you probably did quite a bit of research to, to, to achieve that, did you? I do copious research on all my novels because I want to make them as correct as possible. And when it comes to um, Revenge in Barcelona, I actually went to Barcelona twice, right as I started writing the novel. And then before it was published, I returned. And I did change some things, so I was glad that I had gone that second time. But I really get out and walk the streets and visit the locations that I talk about. I eat the food that I talk about. I really want to do that so that people that are reading my books have the feel that they're right there with Nikki, enjoying the good things, and then they can be scared to death of all the, obviously, intrigue and mystery that happens. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the food because food features very wonderfully in all of your books. And I was wondering if you were tempted to put out a Nikki Garcia cookbook. <laughs> Jenny, my husband has been asking me to do that for the past year and a half. <laughs> he <laughs> is already keeping track of a few recipes and I am too, but I think it wouldn't be a traditional cookbook. It would have the recipes of the food that I mention in my books but I would have some Nikki excerpts, that is some quotations from her or quotations from some of the other characters, just to give it a little more flavor or maybe a little bit of a description, just, just to give the reader a little flavor of how this came about, how the, how the cookbook. So in addition to giving my husband credit, I'll have to give you credit if I ever get that published. I've seen one or two. I think Diana Gabaldon's done one. A Scottish chef has done one on her behalf. But uh, that was one of the things that got me thinking along those lines. And, and her one, of course, includes some of the aspects of her stories as well. Look, your books have had great reviews and they've been finalists in quite a lot of 
different um, award ceremonies. And this one is no exception. It's been a finalist in several um, competitions, hasn't it? That's correct. And it is such a thrill to be a finalist because even if you don't win the main prize, you are still being recognized by being a finalist. And for any listeners out there that may feel inclined to submit to a contest, their publisher submits, and they don't get the number one prize, it is still an honor, a tremendous honor to be a finalist. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's a good chance to um, network with other writers as well. It definitely is. It Well, for example, the Killer Nashville International Writers Conference in um, Nashville in the U.S. And we have people that have come from Australia. I don't think we've ever had anybody from New Zealand. But the first year that I went, and it was my debut novel, Waking Up in Medellin, and it won the best fiction book of the year, which was the number one prize. And that came, of course, with uh, money attached, which was very nice. But it's not about the money, Jenny. It's about the writing. It's about getting your stories as polished and as well-written as you can so that people will enjoy them. Yeah. And have you found a way to break into the Spanish market as well? I mean, even in the US, that would be a very big market these days, wouldn't it? It's an obvious thing for you to be aspiring to. Well, I thought at first that it would be much easier than it has proven to be. Because I Mm -hmm. thought, well, I'm originally from Mexico. Surely there will be a publisher in Mexico that would be interested in taking the the books and uh, translating them into Spanish. That has not happened. The first one is translated into Spanish. It's going to be relaunched because I was not happy with the way the book was edited in Spanish. So this time I edited it myself and it's going to be relaunched in October. And... I am still sort of searching for a way. So we have been able to find some people in California that have a whole organization, Latino International Book Awards, and they do a great deal to promote people who are either their finalists or their award winners. And I'm a finalist there too. I I don't know if I listed it, but they will help in some ways to help you to find uh, avenues in the United States to get your your books out there because there are a lot of readers that read in Spanish in the U.S. a lot and it's a big market and I'd really like to break into it but up until now I have to say it's eluded me. Yeah now in the Revenge in Barcelona there is a hint that the next book is going to be set in Hong Kong but I think the pandemic might have changed those plans. Tell us about that. (laughs) You are so right. We actually had, my husband and I had um, a tour. We were going to New Zealand. We were going to start out in Auckland and we were going to tour the North Island, the South Island, and then go back to Australia, which of course, as you know, I lived in the Northern Territory for several years, for five years, a long time ago. And then we were going to go to Hong Kong where I would do my initial uh, research. But then, of course, the pandemic came along and the tour was canceled. And 
without visiting Hong Kong, Hong Kong is obviously, I've been there several times, but it's been a long time ago. Hong Kong is not like the Latin American countries for me or the Spanish speaking countries because it, the culture is so different and the city, as you know, is very complex. So for me to set a novel there is going to take a lot more online research as well as boots on the ground. I have got to interview some bankers over there. My intention would be to interview American bankers and British bankers that are over there. And I was starting that process when, of course, we found out that COVID-19 was there out there and we wouldn't be able to, to do that. So we hope to do it next year. But of course, it's all dependent on um, how the, the virus goes and if they get any vaccines right away or they don't. Or And also, one of the concerns on my husband's part anyway is the political unrest in Hong Kong. So in yeah. the meantime, I've decided that I will be starting a book, another Nikki book, but it will take place in Miami and will have a Cuban connection. And you might ask, well, why a Cuban connection? Well, because of so many people that are, live in Miami are originally from Cuba. So I'm starting to formulate that book just in the very beginnings of that. And that won't be out till sometime late next year. Sometime late next year. It's wonderful. You, you mentioned about living in Australia. You've had a very international life yourself and you integrate a lot of cultures into your books. I noticed that in the Barcelona one, for example, there's an aspect of Roma culture. There's some characters that belong to the Roma culture, or as they, we used to call them, the gypsies. Um, tell us a bit about your the, the wandering existence that you've had. Where have you lived? Well, I have lived, of course, in Mexico, because that's where I'm originally from. And I might add that Half my life has been spent in Spanish-speaking countries. And then I lived for five years in Australia. So I went from Mexico. I got married at a very early age, at 19, and went to the outback because my former husband and his father owned a cattle station. It was named uh, St. Vigen Station, and it was across the Roper River from Arnhem Land. And I was at 19... Uh, probably a very naive young woman in my life. And I credit that experience with giving me what I needed to make my life what it has turned out to be. And by that, I mean to live the dreams that I had. First dream was to travel a lot. Second dream, to write. And I have accomplished both of those. And then I've done a lot of other things. But um, living on St. Vigen Station was a fabulous experience. Then we left and returned to Mexico. The marriage, unfortunately, broke up. And that's when I moved to the United States with my three-year-old son. And I was a painter. I could not make a living for my son and myself. So I had to go to university. And that's when I studied accounting finance and became a chartered accountant. And then ended up working for Johnson & Johnson as first as an internal auditor. And then later I managed the um, finance function for Latin America and the Caribbean. So I had a very varied background even within my career with Johnson & Johnson. And then I lived during my years with J&J. &J, I also lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina 
which again was just a fabulous experience. And after I left Argentina, still working for J&J, they brought me back to the United States. And then about four years after they had brought me back, I decided to take my early retirement and turn to writing. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And so your English, did you did you mainly did you start speaking English mainly when you were in Australia or have had you had your English long before that? Well, actually, would you believe that in Australia we were so isolated that on the cattle station we always spoke Spanish because we were all Spanish speakers. But when we would go to Darwin or the town of Catherine or any or even Roper River Welfare Settlement, any of those locations we would always have to speak English. I started speaking English about age 12 and I attended, I'm not Mormon, but there was a Mormon colony in Northern Mexico where I'm from. It was about 25, 30 kilometers from my town and they had a fabulous school and that's where I learned my English. And I still have wonderful friends who are Mormon, who most of them have left Mexico now and returned to the United States because the area that I grew up in Mexico, unfortunately, there is a lot of drug traffic that goes through there because it's very close to the border with the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful area, but unfortunately, right now, it's not an area that a lot of people would want to to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's 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 remarkable. I'm very fond of the uh, the Northern Territory. I, I've spent very little time there, but we went on a hiking trip along the West Macdonnell Ranges out of Alice Springs a couple of years ago. My sister and brother-in-law and I, and I, I was just absolutely captivated by the place. I can't really quite explain why, but I just felt this mystical kind of something or other there that was just fantastic. That's just what I was going to say. It is so spiritual there. And you feel it and you're not sure why you feel it. But when you're there, and especially I just felt it so strongly at Ayers Rock, I was just amazed. And I have often told my husband when we return to Australia, he just has to see Ayers Rock because it's uh, so special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving perhaps away from the the specific books to a slightly wider focus on your writing. And this is a a question that comes up on Goodreads every now and then. It's just a fun thing. Is there a mystery on your own life that you could turn into a story sometime? (laughs) You know, I've been thinking about that for about three years now because (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a small town in northern Mexico and small towns always have lots of secrets and lots of mysteries. And um, just as an example, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who won um, the Nobel Prize for Literature a long time ago because of uh, his novel, uh, Hundred Years of Solitude. Yes. And it was not for that novel, but for another one that he wrote, which is Love in the Time of Cholera. And mm. that book I don't, rem- I don't think he ever even names the town that he places that story in, but it is Cartagena in northern Colombia. And he, his inspiration were all of the secrets and mysteries in that town, which at that time it was a very small town. It's a little bit bigger now, considerably bigger. But yes, I would love to do a story uh, kind of, there's always a kernel of truth 
in whatever fiction writers, you know, whatever story they take up. And I think that my town, as well as my family, that just had, there's, after I grew up, I learned all of these family secrets that were, you know, illegitimate children and all sorts of things that I had no clue about. Uncles and aunts and all sorts of things that, that went on in the family that were just amazing. To my knowledge, I don't have any half-brothers or half-sisters, but who knows? If I do research, I might come across one. Yeah, that's right. I was talking to a writer last week. We were just laughing that in those small towns, everybody knows everybody. And you'd think they probably knew all their business as well, but that's far from the truth sometimes, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> Look, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that you would credit with being the secret of your success? Well, there are a couple of things that I, I can mention there. One is using my imagination and also being disciplined. And let me explain those a little bit. Uh, to be a fiction writer, you have to have a fairly good imagination, especially when you're writing mysteries and thrillers and you have to have all those twists and turns. But you need the discipline to get it, to get the project finished because I know a lot of talented people who, if they just had more discipline, would do incredible things and they would write incredible books. But then I also credit my husband. I uh, remarried seven years ago. And Bob is just so supportive of my writing and so encouraging and helps me with all the back office because there's so much an author has to do. It's not just the writing. And even if you have a publisher, unless you are lucky enough to have a mega publisher, a Simon & Schuster, somebody at that level, which I don't have, at least not yet, it takes a lot of the author's time to promote and market the books. And if it weren't for my husband, I don't think I would get a tenth done of what I do. He does all the back office, as I mentioned, so that I have the time to write. But he handles all of my engagements, my speaking engagements. Uh, when I attend different book events, he handles all of that. And that takes so much off of my plate, which is just absolutely wonderful. I couldn't do it without him. That's wonderful. Tell me what, if, if there are people listening today who have got that book that they'd love to write, what would you tell them was the best bit of advice you've been given and what would be the worst if they were just starting out? Okay, on the side of the best advice, to be authentic in your writing, you have to write what's in your heart. You don't necessarily have to write what you know because we all need to do research if we're going to put out something that's halfway decent. But we need to be authentic in our writing. We need to be continuous learners. And by that, I mean that we need to read the authors that we admire. If you're writing a genre, whether it's romance or it's mystery or it's sci-fi, read those authors that you like, that you admire. And I'm not saying that you emulate them, but there's so much that you can learn from them. Mm. And the last mm -hmm. thing would be write for the love of writing. They're it's a very competitive world, and overnight success is very difficult. Now, I listened to a podcast that you did recently of Australian author Michael Robotham, yeah. and he is the exception. 
that's not the rule. And he was extraordinarily lucky. Now, he had a lot of preparation, having been a journalist and all of those things, and obviously wrote really good books, or that very first one was very good, and he was able to launch his career. But that's very rare. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I think I follow a romance writer called Stephanie Lawrence, and she has got this advice for beginning writers. Don't expect to get anywhere until you've got at least six books out and possibly as many as 10 or 12. So it's certainly the the idea of being an overnight success with one book is very, very slim these days, isn't it? It is very difficult. And especially today, since the world is so competitive, there are so many books published every single year. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you mentioned, though, about reading other writers in your genre, because we'll now turn to the subject of people you like to read. This is the joys of binge reading. We like to um, recommend to our listeners books that they might not have heard of. What is your taste in binge reading and who are you reading at the moment? Well, at the moment, I am reading Catherine Colson's book, The Last Second, and it's not really sci-fi, but it has just a tad bit. It's about a schizophrenic former astronaut at uh, Houston, Houston's NASA facility. And I'm almost finished with it, and it is just fascinating. But she has a whole series that I could recommend to to readers that love uh, mysteries and thrillers, and that is the Brit, the Brit in the CIA, and it's a thriller series, and it's absolutely fabulous. Sounds great, wonderful, and and I noticed we. I was really fascinated in Revenge in Barcelona. You specifically mentioned the work of a Spanish author that I hadn't heard of, and I did look them up because I was so intrigued. Carlos Ruiz Zafon, and he sounded wonderful. Tell us about him. I love Carlos Ruiz Zafon's uh, writing. He, his international bestseller was Shadow, The Shadow of the Wind, and it sold, I think, about 16 million books uh, worldwide in 40 different languages. It's a story within a story. And, of course, guess where it's set? In my favorite city, in Barcelona. And um, he uses a lot of the landmarks that are within the city. He has a cemetery for old books, is what he calls it. But it is really a location in Barcelona. And... He uses different names for um, the landmarks that he uses. If I use the Hotel Majestic in Barcelona, you can look up the Hotel Majestic and you will find it and you can go, go to the lobby or have dinner there or whatever. But he would always change the names of his landmarks. And there's a tour in Barcelona that readers can take, you know, his fans and you can visit all of these different locations. Now, I never took the tour, but I did go to several of the locations to because of, I was interested in it shortly after I'd read the book. And I think that was in about, oh, that was a long time ago. It was about in 2006 or seven that I, I flew to Barcelona and because I have friends there. And we went, we just walked around the city and took in all these sites that they were already very familiar with, of course, But I might also mention that those particular friends were my beta readers on Revenge in Barcelona to make sure 
that I had all of those locations that I mentioned that everything that I talked about Barcelona, that it was correct. But getting back to Carlos Ruiz Zafón, he has written, well, he wrote six books. It's unfortunate that we've lost a great author because he passed away last year in California. He had um, cancer and he was only 55 years old. And I was devastated when I found out that he had died. Mm, I can understand that. He sounds like he well, I'm now wanting to discover his books. I guess that they were first initially written in Spanish and then translated into English, were they? That's correct. They were written yeah. in Spanish, yes. And he was a native uh, of Barcelona, although as an adult he did move away once he started writing, He, he and he lived in California for a while. Mm-hmm. Look, we are coming to the end of our time together. So looking back down this uh, time tunnel, I'm not quite sure how many years you have been writing now, but just considering the writing part of it, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, what would you change, if anything? Well, I have, I was first, my first novel was published in 2016. My first short story was published in 2015. So I have not uh, been writing for that terribly long. But if I had one thing I would change is I would have started five years earlier. Five Mm -hmm. years earlier would have made a tremendous difference in the amount of competition. And it would have been much easier to gain some recognition uh, within, obviously, a fan base. Um, When you have 2018 was uh, the last time was the last year that I think they were able to report the books that were published just in the United States, there were 1.6 million books published in the United States. So Jenny, how can an author distinguish himself or herself when so many books are published? Plus you add all the books that have already been published. So final point is I would have started five years earlier and I would be further down this road and I but I have no regrets. I truly have no regrets. I love what I'm doing. That's wonderful. So that brings us to that question of what are you actually doing now? Projects under development. Now, I understand in New Mexico, you've got almost like a writing retreat that you go to. So what have you been doing in that retreat the last few months? Well, when I call it a writing retreat, it's my own private retreat. All it is is uh, the location and it inspires me to write. It's in the mountains. It's beautiful. I'm not taking any classes, but I do bring a stack of books of which I work through um, trying to learn that continuous learning aspect that we mentioned earlier. And, and then I sit down every single day and I write. I'm also, I have a newsletter and in that newsletter, which doesn't take that much time at all because it only comes out monthly. I am also doing a blog about my years in Australia, in the Outback. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I've had so many people tell me that they want to see that turned into a book. Of course, I would have to expand upon it. I would have to make it. Uh, but I'm not sure I want to write a memoir. But that's certainly something that I'm considering for two, three years down the road. But my next project, the most immediate project, it will be to start Missing in Miami, which is the next Nikki Garcia thriller. And then I want to also get enough short stories written that I can um, complement my short story publication that's out there by the name of Backyard Volcano and Other Mysteries of the Heart. So I'll be writing another 
few short stories so that I can put a short story collection together. That's fantastic. Yes, it occurred to me when we were talking earlier whether there'd be any possibility of taking Nikki to, to the Australian Art Bank, but unfortunately there aren't too many big corporations that need investigation in the outback, are there? <laughs> That's correct, especially <laughs> not in the outback. In fact, when I looked up, when I started doing the blog and I was doing some research, and I, I obviously was researching St. Vision Station to see what had happened to it, and it's abandoned. The headquarters uh, are abandoned, and I was so shocked by that because it was a nice location, and I thought, how could it be abandoned? But there wouldn't be much for Nikki to do, but... She can always go to New Zealand. There are wonderful places in New Zealand and Southern Australia. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Look, you, you seem to be very, very efficient with this um, online business, with your newsletter and with various places that people can find you. Tell us about where can readers find you online and do you enjoy interacting with your readers? I do interact with my readers. My personal website is katherine-lane.com. Let me spell that. Obviously, it's www.katherine-lane.com. And then, obviously, I, you can find me. My Amazon author page is amazon.com backslash Catherine Lane. And that should probably do it. If not, you can just Google me on, on Amazon uh, or search for me on Amazon. Sure. And then I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Google. But the ones that I'm active on is really Facebook is the one that I'm most active on. Although I do BookBub and Goodreads. My Gmail account, if anyone wants to write to me, is Catherine Lane Author. No spaces, no dots. K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-L-A-N-E-A-U-T-H-O-R at gmail.com. When people respond to me, whether it's my newsletter, my Gmail, Facebook, just anything, however they can get hold of me, I always respond to them. I love interaction with my fans. That's lovely, Catherine. We will put a full list of these um, connection points in the show notes for this episode. So it'll be up there forevermore on online, probably long after you and I have departed to other places. But so that hopefully is some consolation. You'll be able to find those links online. Thank you very much, Jenny. Well, look, it's been fabulous talking and um, we have now come to our end of our time. So all the very best with the rest of your projects. I think an Australian book sometime would be great fun. Thank you, Jenny. And thank you for doing this program. I don't mean my personal program. I mean all the authors that you interview. It's great work for authors. Thank you. You're welcome. It's fun for me as well. That's great. Thanks so much, Medea. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. 
Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.